Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Well, uh, our daughter, my wife and I's daughter, uh, just turned eight months old. Just turned eight months old, right? You should, yeah, like, they should give out, like, like certificates every month that you keep the baby alive, right? Like, every month, right? She just turned eight months. And uh, my wife went back to, my wife's a nurse, as you know, some of you know, and she just went back to work uh, a couple months ago. And as she did, we developed a sleep system. We developed a sleep system. You're already laughing, those that have kids, right? Because you know that this is a super important part. And the sleep system goes this way. On the, on the days that I'm working or, or I've got meetings or things like that, that my wife gets up with the baby anytime the baby cries. And then the opposite is true as well, that when my wife works, I'm responsible for the baby, right? And unfortunately for my wife, I tend to be a deep sleeper, and so sometimes she's got to poke a little bit to get me moving, right? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we had a particularly um, rough night with the baby, right? Anybody have kids in the room? Right? Anybody kids, infants, right? right? Anybody ever been a kid? Anybody ever been a kid, right? So that's everybody else, right? So we had a really, we had a particularly rough night with her, and um, it was my night to get up with her, and it was just one of those nights where there was nothing that we could do to calm her down, Right? I went, she starts to cry. I went in there and I, and I, I applied all of the usual techniques. Yes. I picked her up, put her on daddy's shoulder, right? Put her up there, laid her back down. And she would do this thing where she would, she would fall back asleep, trick you until you put her down and then would wake up as soon as you're basically walking out of the door. So I did that, you know, got the bottle, did the bottle thing. And there was just nothing working. And so I decided to apply some more invasive techniques, right? Those that are dads and moms, you have like, you've got some tricks up your pocket, yeah? Yep. So same thing. Went in there, picked her up, and, and I started doing the little sway, right? A little sway, a little moving those hips, a little figure eight, ABC, like whatever it is that you do, right? Moving her around, trying all this kind of stuff. Still didn't work. Go out to the living room. Uh, where we have a, a chair, my recliner, and, and would put her up on, on me, and, and she, would, she would fall asleep, which was great for her, but awful for me because I couldn't sleep, and so that didn't work. And so I even, I even, you'll appreciate this, I even got spiritual about it. How many here, you got, you've gotten spiritual before when you've gotten desperate, yes? I picked that baby up and I said, in the name of Jesus, help this baby go to sleep. I was casting out anything that might have been in that room in the name of Jesus, yes? Right? Peppa Pig, get out of here in the name of Jesus, right? Minnie Mouse, whatever it is, I don't care because I'm tired and I'm trying to go to sleep. And as I was holding that baby, I thought to myself, this is my life for the foreseeable future, right? There was no way out. There was no way to fix it. Have you ever been in a situation like that? And have you ever, have you ever been in a spot like that? Maybe you don't have an infant. Maybe you're, you're not at that place. But, but here's my question for us, and we're going to operate from this question today. And here's my question. Put this question up for me. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there is nothing that you can do? Some of you in the room, uh, you, you're at this place. Maybe, maybe you're, you're in a, a single season of your life. You're in a single se- uh, place in your life, and you're just wondering, am I ever going to meet the right person. It always feels like, like potential mates, they seem like they're parking spaces. They're either handicapped or taken, right? 
If you're in this single season of your life, maybe you're on the, maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum, right? And you're, you're married, you're in a relationship, and it's like things are just not turning out the way that you thought they were going to turn out. Mr. Wonderful isn't as wonderful as you thought. Mrs. Wonderful isn't as wonderful as you thought. And you've done everything that you can and know to do, but it just feels like that there's nothing that you can do. Well, what about this? Students in the room, right? We've got, I know you have some students in the room. You know, you're 15 and it's like you cannot wait to get out of the house, but you're in this season where it's like you're not going anywhere. You're not moving out until you're 18 or 25 or 30 or however old, right? You got to be till you get out of there or academically, right? Academically, we, we, were, we were pursuing a career. We were, we were doing schooling. We were doing the thing. And it's like the thing that you wanted to become, it's just not happening, right? That thing, that goal that you're, you're reaching for, that you were trying to get at, it's just every time it seems like you just, it's just further and further away. Or how about financially, Financially, it seems like you thought that it, when you got to your 30s that you would be in a better financial spot. And then your 40s came and you thought, I thought it was going to be better. And then you get into your 50s and, and, and so on and so forth. And it feels like your financial dreams are, are like a ship that's sailing away. Or maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a health thing, right? Where, the, where you got a bad report from the doctor and it's, and it's not something that's going to kill you, but it is something that is going to seriously affect your lifestyle. And then what happens when we, when we feel this? What happens when we don't, when there's nothing that we can do? What happens? The temptation comes, doesn't it? Temptations come. Or we want to we wanna run away, yes? We want to get away from it as fast as I can. Or, or maybe we turn to self-medicating and we, and we, we drink constantly. Or we, we try to stay high so that we can stay away from the pain, right? The temptation comes and then the questions start to come in. Those that are in the church or, or following God, this, the questions start to happen of, of this. Where is God? Where is God? Does he care? Does he know that we would just, we would love just to re, like feel like God at least knows what's going on in my life. And we feel this and we have this question, what do we do when there's nothing that we can do? So if you've ever been at a place like that, maybe you're in a place like that right now where you feel that then the good news is, is that we're going we're gonna to unpack this question over the next couple of minutes. So, is anybody thoroughly depressed at this point? Yes? Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be moving to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to give some context before we get there. And I do have one more slide before we jump into that passage. Because I, I want to I set... This record straight because when we get to these points in our lives where we where, where it feels like there's nothing that we can do, and we start to question where is God and, and does He care and all that kind of stuff, I want to set this record straight so that we can move past it. And it's this: is that God is not He's not angry, He's not apathetic, and He's not absent. God is not absent. He is just because you don't feel Him in this season, just because you don't know where He's at. He's not absent. He's not apathetic, meaning that it's like God's not saying Sarah, Sarah. God's not saying like whatever. You know, I've got bigger things to deal with. Have you seen the Middle East? Do you see what's going on in this with this crisis? Have you seen this thing? God's not. He's not apathetic, and God is not angry. 
I know some of us that come from different faith traditions, there's this feeling that if things aren't going well for me, that we wonder, is God angry? And one of the verses, and we're not going to get into it, that kind of sets this whole thing straight is John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the good people, for God so loved the cheerful givers, for God so loved the people that come to church. It says, for God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only son. So God is not absent, God is not apathetic, and God is not angry. Now, as we turn our attention back to that question, what do we do when there's nothing that we can do? In 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at a story, we're going to look at a passage of scripture from a guy, and you need to take solace in this, that in the Bible, throughout scripture, I mean, you can't tell me a story or scripture where a, a, a character was absent from adversity in their life. I mean, almost every single person in the scripture, starting with Adam all the way to John, had some sort of adversity in your life. So if you're at a place and you're experiencing some adversity, just know that you are in a good crowd. You're in a good room, okay? So 2 Corinthians, what we have here, we have this guy named Apostle, the Apostle Paul. Say, say the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Paul is this guy who's credited with writing uh, much of the New Testament. And Paul's story is interesting because Paul, when he started out, he was not a Christ follower. In fact, he was a, he was a, he was a Jesus hater. Anybody got any haters in your life? You're like, oh boy, you should see my Instagram and my Facebook, right? Right? Paul, Paul was a dude. And if you're here and you're like, uh, I, I, there's some, some Christians that I... I hate on as well, right? Paul was there. Except Paul would take it a step further. Paul wouldn't just hate and leave nasty comments on their Instagram or Facebook. Paul would arrest them, right? You're like, there's some people in my life that I would love to arrest, yes? Right? Paul would arrest them. So here's Paul, and, and, and he has this, uh, we're not going to get into it, but if you read his story, he has this what we call this Damascus Road experience, where he's like heading in this direction, and God just blindside tackles him and says, you're going in the wrong direction. And totally shifts him to where he's going to be going that way. Now, in 2 Corinthians, what he's addressing, what he's writing, is that he's, he's writing to a church in Corinth. Say Corinth. And in, in Corinth, in this particular uh, uh, scripture and stuff, he's combating what they were these super apostles. Have you ever heard that term before? I don't know if, I don't think they sell that at Halloween, Right? You're like, what are you? I'm a super apostle this Halloween. These super apostles had this, they were apparently uh, very good orators. They were very eloquent, eloquent in speech. Um, they, were, they seemed to be powerful. And what they were doing is that they had a particular message that they were preaching that was being influential and it was influencing people away from this original teaching that they had received from Paul. You see, Paul, even though he read his stuff and he's like this big character, he was, he was not necessarily this big, intimidating character. And so he's writing in 2 Corinthians to kind of to refute some of these things. Now, the passage that we're going to look at, in it, Paul was finally heading in the right direction when we discover that he had been stricken with an illness. Imagine this. Imagine that you finally get your life right and you're heading in the direction, and you're actually doing something for God, but then you discover that you have this debilitating illness. So that's what we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you've got it, would you say, I got it? 
We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. What I'm going to do is I'm going to break this verse down so that we can get as much of it into us as possible. Sound good? Okay. Does that sound good? Okay, okay. You're like, that guy talks a lot. Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, Paul gains this great insight. That's fine, you can leave it up. He gains this great insight that's going to help us today. If you're in a season of adversity This is what he says. He says, therefore, therefore, in order to, say in order to, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given. Now, pause right there. We're going to look at that right there. He says, in order to, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given something. Now, these words, we've got to unpack them a little bit. In order to is a purpose statement, meaning that there was a purpose. There was something positive that was happening. Paul says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given something. Now, this connotation, the word given, it almost always indicates that there's something positive on the other end. Does anybody, does anybody love Christmas morning? Or Christmas, or Christmas Eve, whenever you open your presents, right? Christmas morning, Christmas Eve. For, for some of us that play fantasy football, the, the fantasy football draft is like Christmas morning. There's a couple of three, three smiles in here. You get it. You understand, right? right? But, we, but we know this. But, but what Paul's saying is that it has this positive thing, that in order to be this, to keep me from this, I was given something positive. Do you want to know what he was given? Next scripture. I was given a thorn in my flesh. Praise the Lord. How come, there's, how come there's no worship songs about that one, right? Praise the Lord, I've got a thorn in my flesh. Praise the Lord, I've got a thorn in my flesh. Oh, we're not singing that one? Okay, he says, I've got a thorn in my flesh. Now, thorn, what, what is he talking about when he refers to thorn? Thorn, we think of like something that we were, you know, cutting up some roses and we, we got a little, you know, a little piece of wood in our finger and we pull it out of there and then we go on and life is good. That's not what this means in this passage. What it means is a constant irritating problem. That's what thorn means in the passage. It's constant irritating problem. In my flesh and then a messenger of Satan and he, he brought this in and a lot of people have debated about this about, you know, where, what, what does that mean? Um, but in the given part, when he says that I was given this, he's indicating that it was God who was the one that gave it. It wasn't, it wasn't something that Satan was doing. It wasn't something that evil that was happening. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to torment me. And that word torment is like this. Put your fists together. What it means is it's like to beat up or to strike with a fist. That's what he means. I was given this thorn in my flesh. It's this constant irritating thing in my life, and it's tormenting me, meaning it's, a, it's constantly hitting me, and it's constantly striking my life. But Paul has this. Paul has this key insight in this passage. He says he saw this thorn as a gift with a purpose. He saw his circumstance as a season and this season is a gift that had some sort of purpose. Now, can you get there this morning, right? Can you get there? That, th- that this difficult season, this difficult thing that's happening in your life, what Paul is saying, Paul has this great insight, right? 
You don't have to raise your hand, but, but go to that place, right? You've got this adversity in your life. Maybe, maybe you're in the single phase, you're in the married phase, you're in the baby phase, you're in the financial phase, you're in the health phase, you're in this season, in this circumstance in your life. And what Paul says, he has this great insight for your life. Are you ready for what Paul has to say to you? He says that that thing can have a purpose in your life. Does that just fill you with faith? You can say, no, pastor, that does not fill me with faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, what is the pastor talking about? Ask him, what is he talking about? But Paul had this insight. He had this insight that says, this thing that was given to me as a gift, like a Christmas morning, had a purpose. Now, this is important. This part's important. What Paul is saying is that it wasn't about self-control, it's not about willpower, and it's not about positive thinking. Paul was not the first Tony Robbins, right? He wasn't jumping around and saying, I can overcome. He wasn't doing any of that stuff, and he's not glorifying suffering here. That's not what's happening. This is not a mind over matter issue. This is not any of those things. That's important to hear when we look at this passage. It's not any of that stuff. Now, what was Paul's thorn? What was Paul's thorn? It's not in there. I don't expect you to have it because this has been debated for a long, long time. Some believe that it was, it was um, epilepsy. Imagine this. So he's writing to refute these super apostles who were very eloquent. I can't say that word eloquent, very eloquent in their speaking, meaning that they were very persuasive in their arguments. And here, can you imagine that he goes to to combat their teaching and to talk about Jesus, and here comes a bout of epilepsy. Some believe it was epilepsy. Some believe that it was, were, were these, these debilitating headaches that he would get that would totally drive him offline. Some people believe that it was depression, that, that the thorn in his flesh, that the thing that, that was, would torment him, that he believed that had some sort of purpose in his life was depression. But, but a lot of people think that it, it was probably a, a degenerative uh, eye disease. Now think about this. He's, he's, trying to, he's, trying to, he's trying to do something for God. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that Paul wasn't, he wasn't um, writing this way so that he could go and make a million bucks and live on a yacht for the rest of his life. Paul was trying to, he was trying to pursue God's call for his life. And yet he's stricken with this thing. Have you ever, have you ever been in that spot? Have you ever been trying to do something positive with your life and it feels like there's this thing just hitting you, tormenting you? after you. We don't know what Paul's thorn was, but we do know that it was this. We do know that it was painful, we know that it was humiliating, and we know that it was debilitating. We don't know what it was, but we do know that it was painful, we know that it was humiliating, and it was debilitating. Have you ever been in a spot like that before? My, uh, as I shared, my uh, we're approaching three years in, uh, in marriage, and um, as we met and as things were getting serious, I, um, you know, I don't know what kind of conversations that you have with the person that's a significant other in your life, but you kind of have to, you kind of have to come clean on some stuff, yes? Oh, pastor, where are you going with this one, right? You kind of have that, you have that conversation where it's like, oh, yep, you know, here's some things that, you know, that are, you know, in my life, like if you're going to be a part of my life, like, you know, these are, you know, these are 
this comes with the package, yes? And, uh, and I knew, you know, I, I wanted to tell my wife that I loved her. And, but before I got to that point, I had, um, I went to, you know, undergrad and, and had amassed uh, quite a bit of debt in my, in my journeys, actually to the tune of 100,000 bucks in student loans. Turn to your neighbor and just say, that's a lot of money. Tell them, right? That's a lot of money. And I can remember exactly where we were at. We were, we were actually uh, at a park not too far away. We were going on a walk. Uh, what was the place? Toy Pines. Yes, Toy Pines. We're going for a walk. And I was as nervous as you could be walking up this thing. You know, we were walking up a hill, but I was sweating a little bit more profusely than normal, right? And it's like, oh my, she's probably thinking, oh my Lord, what in the world is wrong with this guy, right? And so we're walking up the thing, and I'm like trying to like put the words together, because I want to I wanna move things forward, but, but, I'm, but I also have to tell her, hey, like, if you think I'm a great guy, why don't we lower those expectations a little bit, you know, because I... I, uh, there's a, there is a price tag hanging off the side of my jeans to the tune of 100K, right? And so we're going up there, and I'm all nervous and trying to, like, find the words to, to share this part with her. And uh, for sure, it was painful, it was humiliating, it was debilitating. It actually had impacted me, like, you know, in previous, you know, thoughts about relationships and stuff. Because I'm just thinking, who in the world is going to want to hitch themselves to a guy that's trying to be a pastor with all this debt in his life, right? If my thorn for sure. So we get up there, and I'm trying to find the words, and I'm like, I'm like Crosby, I was like, I've got to... I've got to tell you something, which of course makes her, every single girl in the room, you're like, oh God, what, is, what in the world is wrong with this guy? Like, of course I'm the girl that picks the guy that's a serial killer, right? I mean, his name is Michael Myers for crying out loud, right? And so we get up there and I'm like, I got to tell you something. And, you know, she's like, my wife is like so sweet. She has a, you could literally tell her that like, hey, the state of Ohio just fell into the, uh, the center of the earth. And she would be like, well, that's not good. You know, like, like one of those like straight faced people. And so, you know, I'm telling, I'm, I'm telling her and, you know, and she's like, oh, uh, and then, and then there was just like this sigh of relief that fell over her, which I was like, what? I was like, did you not hear what I just said? And, you know, and for her, she thought, well, she's like, I thought that you had like another wife and another town and another baby somewhere, you know, and so it was so, um, so it was good. But I have to be honest with you, man. And, and I realize we're talking about serious stuff, and I know that some of you are dealing with some serious things in your life, but I have to tell you that that, that thorn was painful, humiliating, and it was debilitating. Have you ever been at that spot in your life where you feel it? And then Paul, as we're reading, he has the audacity to come out and say that, hey, this thorn, it has a purpose, that there's a reason for it. How can he say that? Well, let's move forward in the passage. So what does Paul do? He, he says that in order to keep me from becoming conceited, which pride is probably one of the worst things that we can have in our life, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So what does he do? Turn to your neighbor and, and say, what would you do if you had that experience, if you had that thorn? What would you do? This is what we, he does what we would all do. Look what it says in verse 8. It says three times, say three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Don't you love that? 
right? So he's not a guy that's jumping around singing the song, I've got a flesh, he's not doing that, right? He says, no, 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 three times I pleaded with God to take it away from me. Now, this three times terms, it doesn't mean that he prayed three times for the parking space to be removed. It means there, there, were, there was probably more like three different seasons in his life, that he went through a difficult season in his life, and he prayed, God, would you take this away from me, and nothing happened. And then a second really difficult season in his life, God, would you take this away from me, nothing happens. And then finally, a third time he prays, God, would you take this away from me, and nothing happens. And then there's the word pleaded. God, I'm pleading, meaning that he was desperate. He was desperate for God to do something in this season when it felt like there was nothing that he could do. God, would you take this thing away from me? You see, this is what I believe to be true about your life and your story. Have you ever, have you ever had this experience where you're dealing with something difficult in your life and somebody says, you just need to pray about it. You ever had an experience like that, right? Or you, you share your heart with somebody and then the next thing you know, they tag you in some sort of inspirational quote on Instagram. You're like, thank you for wasting seven seconds of my life, right? Problem's still there. You see, this is what I believe to be true. The thing that you're dealing with, this season of adversity that you're in, this challenge Whatever it is, I don't believe that it's because you have a lack of faith. You need to hear that. I don't believe that it's a lack of faith because how can Jesus say, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which we talked about is a tiny, tiny seed, and this mountain will be removed, it's like those that have, been, have experienced difficult things in your life, you think you've mustered up at least a mustard seed? Yes, yes. You see, I don't think it's because you have a lack of faith. I don't believe that. Because if Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy that, Jesus, or that God used to write two-thirds of the New Testament, if he's pleading with God for this thing to be removed, you're telling me that Paul didn't have enough faith? I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I think that's why Paul was coming to this conclusion, as we're going to get to, that he said, the reason that I was, I was given this thing is because it had a purpose to it. And that's what we're going to get to. So I don't believe that the thing you're dealing with is because you lack faith. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. So finally, God answers Paul. Wouldn't you love for God to answer you after some of your prayers? Some of you are like, absolutely not. That would be terrifying. Me and God have a good relationship. I read the scriptures. He doesn't speak back to me, right? But he responds to Paul. He says this in verse 9a. But God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what? Do you, this is very, this is a beautiful verse, and I love this verse. But do you know what God says to Paul? No, no, that's what God said, that's what he's saying. He says that three times I pleaded with God, God, take away this thorn. It's this constant irritating thing in my life. It, it torments me, it beats me up like a fist striking me. And God replies and he says, 
No. How do we respond when God says that? Now, he says it much more eloquently and because there's a, there's a purpose and a promise behind this statement. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And what, what he's now, Paul is realizing is that this thorn in his life, not only was it painful, not only was it uh, debilitating, but now it is permanent in his life. And at this time, and when Paul had been pleading about this, we know from Scripture that Paul had been dealing with this thing for 14 years in his life. So what is he going to do? Paul said, God says that I've got a purpose and I've got a promise to the thing that you're facing in your life. Amen? Let's just say amen collectively. Ready? Amen? Because I think we need to get you out of that dark place wherever you're at. And God says, I'm not going to take this thing away But it has a purpose, and that purpose is yet to be revealed. But the promise is for today. Amen. Meaning that we don't know why. Paul didn't, didn't, Jesus didn't, God didn't say, this is why you have this thing. But he believed that there was a purpose to it. But there was a promise attached as well. And the promise was for today. That my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So what are you going to do about it, Paul? What are you going to do when there's nothing that you can do? Are you ready for this? What are you going to do when there's nothing that you can do? Paul, how are you going to respond to this? What are you going to say to God? How how are you going to live your life? Are you ready for this? Oh, one person nervously shook their head on there, saying, Pastor, we don't want any more of this. Paul says this. He says, therefore... I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, are there anybody in the room, you have dogs? Anybody have a dog in the room? Raise your hand. Hands up, hands up, hands up. You have a dog. Dog, 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 dog. Right? Right, dog. You ever, you ever see a dog do this? You're walking the dog, and what do they do? They find a spot, don't they? They find a spot, and what do they start to do? They start to oh, mark it. Yes, that is one thing that they do. But the other thing is that they start to smell it, yes? And then what do they do after that if you don't jerk their collar away from that spot? What is it? They look around. That they start to roll in that spot, don't they? They find this spot and you don't know what it is. There's nothing around. It's some sort of scent. It's some sort of thing. And they start to roll around in that spot. What Paul is saying, what this word boast means is that Paul says, I'm going to glory in it. He says that I'm going to roll around in it. I'm going to get all of it on me as possible. I'm going to move in that. I'm going to shimmy in that, right? He's going to shake a little bit. He's going to get in that spot all the more. I'm going to boast about my weakness so that, there's that, po- there's that purpose statement, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Amen? He's saying that I'm going to boast about this thing, that the, this thing that God has given me, this thorn that for whatever reason, he won't take it away, I'm going to boast in it, I'm going to roll around in it, because the more that I roll around in this thing, the more that Christ's power rests on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I'm going to delight in my weaknesses. Now, remember, this is, not, this is not glorifying suffering. He's not glorifying suffering here. He's not Tony Robbinsing this thing. He's not trying to p- positive power spin this thing. He's not trying to do any of those things. 
Rather, he's reframing it from his understanding and his, and his walk with God. He says, I'm going to boast in this thing so that Christ's power can rest on me. And he finishes this and he says, for when I am weak, then I am made strong. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And here, here's, all, here's all the reason that I wanted to bring us to this point. And man, you guys can make your way up here when you're ready. I want to bring us to this point right here. Because this is important for us, especially in a series where we're talking about overcoming. Where we're talking about, hey, how do, I, how, do I, how do I leap over this place in my life? How do I get past this mountain that has built itself up in my life and it's keeping me from where I want to be? Yes, I believe that we are people that overcome. Yes, I believe that God wants us to be able to move into the places that he has for us. But we also need to understand this part of the scripture. And it's this point. That sometimes we overcome, not by being delivered from it, but by learning how to be dependent on God while in it. Did you hear that? I get it. I realize that this is not one of those amen pastor moments. Because this doesn't mean that I'm going to overcome that thing. What you're saying to me is that that thing that's in my life is there for a purpose. That God is doing something in it. He's working in it. But you need to hear this this morning. Because I don't, want to, I don't want you to walk out of this place with a false idea and false belief about maybe why it's in your life. Sometimes we overcome not by being delivered from it. We pray for that, yes? Paul prayed for it. He pleaded with God. We pray and we pray and we pray, God, if it is your will, take this thing out of my life. I don't want to be in this place anymore. It's too painful. It's too debilitating in my life. God, take me out of it. But when he doesn't, we have to learn how to be dependent on God while in it. And the beautiful thing about what that scripture says is that there is a promise attached to that thing. And it says that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's this It's this paradoxical thing in the scriptures and as we walk with Jesus. You see, our whole world is built on us becoming strong, yes? We join classes, we lift heavy weights, right? We try to build up that 401k to insulate us from from any things that are going on. We try to vote for the right candidates so that we can get the right people in power, so that we can preserve a certain type of way of life, right? Our whole system and world is built on becoming strong. But what Jesus is saying, what Paul is writing, he's found this secret, and he says it's, it's actually in my weakness where God is made strong. You see, sometimes we overcome by, by being, not by being delivered from it, but by learning how to be dependent on God while in it. Let me finish with this story. We're going to stand and sing this morning. And I get it. Listen, I, didn't, I wanted to give you a little caveat in the beginning, like, hey, just hang in there with me. We're going to go on a little bit of a journey, right? But, but, I, but I wanted you to experience this teaching this morning because I believe that this teaching is just as important as the rah, rah, thank you, Jesus. I've overcome. I've crossed the finish line. I got a bunch of money in the bank. All my kids are healthy. World is good. The Cavs are going to win the championship. Okay. 
I get that. But I feel as a pastor that I would not be doing my responsibility if I did not give you this part of the teaching that lets you know that there are some things in your life that are going to be painful, that are going to be debilitating, and there might even be permanent. And in those moments, when God doesn't deliver you from them, how do you respond? Paul says that I'm going to learn how to be dependent on God. Because when I am weak, then he is strong. His grace is sufficient for me. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. On April 2nd of this, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we celebrated, not celebrated, I don't know what you want to call it, um, we remembered the second anniversary of my mother's passing. My mother, uh, Sandra Lee, she, about six days before we got married, my uncle called me and said, I have some really bad news for you. Your mother has been diagnosed with cancer and we're gonna do everything in our power to get her up out of the hospital and to get her to your, your wedding. They were living in Phoenix at the time. And as you can imagine, it's overwhelming. You're on this roller coaster of you're so excited to you know, marry the person of your dreams and then all of a sudden you get this other news that uh, you know, your mom is like really sick. So once we got through the, uh, you know, our, our mar- getting married and uh, all that stuff, you know, we finally settled in. We made sure we were trying to give my mom the best care as possible, make sure, you know, we could do everything in our power to do. Uh, those that have had sick parents before, you know, just the tension that places on children and, uh, and that experience. And we did everything we can do. Boy, boy, oh boy. You talk about not understanding something. My mom was the most pure woman I had ever met in my life. She was, she got married young, married, my, my dad was 28, my mom was 20. Um, I don't even know if she even had a boyfriend before my dad and, and just, just pure, pure as snow. Wouldn't hurt a fly, loved Jesus. Pretty sure she served Jesus as soon as she could say Jesus. You know what I mean, one of those people? Pure, just wonderful, wonderful woman. And then we find out that she had some sort of uh, stomach cancer. They weren't even sure where where it was, had it originated, which meant they had trouble trying to treat it. And just to be real with you, basically she had pancreatic cancer and the cancer attacked the enzyme that would break down food so she could not eat. So we literally watched my mother starve to death. We did everything that we could do for my mom. We um, researched, we prayed, we, uh, we fasted. You know, we just did all the spiritual stuff that we knew to do. And I don't know when it was, but it was at some point I felt God impress on me or speak to me. And he just said, I'm going to take her home. You know, some, sometimes God delivers us from that, and I pray for that. I will pray for you. I will pray over you that God would deliver you from whatever the thorn, whatever the thing is that you're facing. But sometimes we have to learn how to be dependent on God while we're in it. Because the truth be told, we don't understand 
why we're given certain things. We'll never understand that. And God, and, and God does not owe me an explanation. He is God. I am a man. But what the scripture tells me is that in those moments where you sense that you, this is not something that's going to end quickly, you've got to learn how to depend on God and on his grace while in it. Because the scripture says that my grace is sufficient for you. So this morning, I just want to give you two things. One is, is pray that God would take that thing away. Plead with God. Muster as much faith as you can and ask God, if this can be removed, remove it from me. But if you sense, if you sense that maybe this is something that's going to be around a little bit longer, then I want to leave you with this. Embrace God's promise for your life. He didn't promise Paul to take it away, but what he did promise Paul was that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads? I just want to give you a moment to reflect. Let me pray over us. God, we... Honestly, the scripture is the most loving thing that you could give to us because the truth is that all of us are going to experience thorns in our life that you're not going to take away. Therefore, the most loving thing that you can do and tell us is that, but my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. That yes, in this life, you're gonna have tribulation, you're gonna have troubles, you're gonna have things. And you can be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. But what God would say is that this temporary pain and tension that you feel in your life is in no comparison to the, to the home that I have pre- prepared for you in heaven. And so I pray for us this morning. And with every head bowed, eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, Pastor, I'm in one of those seasons. I'm in a season where I, I feel like there is nothing that I can do. Would you just flip, slip up a hand? You're in a season right now. Pastor, I'm in a season where there's, I'm in this place where I don't know. I don't see an end in sight. I don't see a fix. I don't see a way forward. I don't know how to move forward. Would you slip your hand up? I see your hands. See your hands. See your hands. You can put your hands down. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for those that have raised hands this morning. I pray for those that have responded to you, God. Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, that this truth and this idea that your grace is sufficient for us would get deep into their souls. And God, that that somehow, maybe some way, that, that through this thorn, they can learn to trust you. That through this thorn, maybe they can get to a point where they will say, I'm going to boast all the more in my weakness. Because the scripture tells me that in my weakness, I am made strong. So God, I pray for us. For those that have raised hands, God, I pray that you would, you would seal in through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to gain an understanding. And God, help us to also gain just a sense of strength. 
and help us to embrace your promise for us this morning. Pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Would you stand with us this morning? Would you stand with us?